The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. My name is Alessandra Molito. I'm the retirement reporter at Market Watch. Today, we have with me, with me Eric Roberge, financial planner and founder of Beyond Your Hammock. Welcome, Eric. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure, Ali. Happy to be here. So today we are talking about a very, very important topic, debt. So many Americans have it in one form or the other when it comes to homes, cars, student loans, credit cards, and, and so on and so forth. And it gets incredibly more important as you get closer to retirement. So I'm just going to jump right in if that's okay with you. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. So this is an age-old question, but which debts are good versus bad? And does that change depending on what stage you are in your financial planning journey, such as like when you first get out of college versus when you're close to retirement? Well, I mean, the the good debt versus bad debt can be defined different ways. But generally speaking, when someone talks about good debt, it's debt that is maybe on an asset that is appreciating and it is deductible interest that you're paying on that debt versus um, credit card debt, for example, is always one that categorizes it as bad debt, where you're paying interest on something that you just ate at a restaurant and it's definitely not appreciating um, out there. So it's just understanding what the debt is and how it could benefit you or take away from your finances. Um, good debt, mortgages, um, student loans, things like that are categorized as the good debt. Uh, side of things. Absolutely. So I know that one of the biggest concerns for people entering retirement or a few years out, at least from retirement, their their concern is uh, mortgages. Um, a lot of people ask me uh, in my Help Me Retire column if they should pay off their mortgage beforehand or if it's okay to enter retirement with a mortgage. Um, when is it okay to enter retirement with a mortgage and when should you maybe pay it off sooner? This is another one of those questions, a great question, and it's one that doesn't have a very specific answer for every situation. Um, when when you're going into retirement, I mean, arguably, if you can't afford your expenses, including the mortgage, and you have no problem doing so every single year um, before or after retirement, then you don't necessarily have to pay off the debt because your cash flow is fine. Um, you're not running into the negative and you just paid off when it gets paid off. Um, at this time, when rates are so low um, and you're not paying all that much interest, like you're, if you're paying you know, 3% or lower on a 30-year mortgage, that's a really great rate. And paying that off is going to, yes, reduce your cash flow um, expenses, I should say, down, but you're not going to get the deduction for the interest that you're paying, which would arguably increase your taxes. Um, and then the equity that you've you know, built up in your house is just sitting in your house, not necessarily earning anything outside of the value of your home increasing. 
Um, I will say right now, the value of your home increasing has been significant over the past couple of years, but that's not always the case. Um, and there's this thing called leverage, right? Leveraging the mortgage, meaning paying a low interest rate here to maybe have your money grow elsewhere at a higher rate. That's actually a financially uh, beneficial move in a lot of times. So yeah. again, there's no right answer, but um, the key is going to be looking at your cash flow, understanding the affordability of your normal expenses, inclusive of or without the mortgage. And that's going to really give you a good understanding about is the mortgage payment sustainable in retirement or not? And if it's not sustainable, you may want to do as much as you can to get rid of that. So you have that good, solid level of expenses that you can maintain throughout retirement. Absolutely. So um, normally when I'm talking to people, I tell them that they should have a budget or at least some sort of spending plan before they get into retirement, like an idea of what they're going to be spending in retirement. That way they see if their debt payment fits into it. Does that, that sounds right, right? I'm not a financial advisor, so <laughs> you tell me. Yeah, right. I mean, yes. Um, if you talk to any financial advisor, they should be telling you that you should know where your money's going on an annual basis. You're not going to know exactly where it goes every single month because it's going to be different. But generally speaking, if you bring in this much income, you probably should be spending this much um, and not the other way around. And if you can spend the lower amount and you have a little bit of a gap between the money that's coming into you, whether that's an income from a job or it's income from Social Security or your retirement accounts or a pension, then you're in good shape. Perfect. So um, what would you say are maybe one or two of the best strategies for debt, uh, debt management when in retirement? We hear a lot about snowballs and avalanches, but you know, what do you, how do you think people should approach it? I'm looking out my window right now and I see a lot of snow, so I hope there's no avalanches outside there. <laughs> Me too. But when it comes to debt, um, it's, it's important to pay attention to interest rates. We talked about these before as far as like, is the interest deductible or not, which is a factor, but the interest rate level itself, that's really important to pay attention to because the higher the interest rate and the higher the balance of the loan, the more interest you're going to pay and the less principal you're going to be paying down. So organizing your debt by interest rate with the highest on top and going after those first is generally the best financial move to go after. And I think that in that case, um, I don't know if it's the avalanche or the, or the snowball method, but doing that is going to have you pay the least interest over time. And if you want to look at it another way, and this is just as viable, it's just going to maybe have you pay a little bit more interest in the long run, paying the smallest balances off for or the, sorry, the small, the smallest, um, uh, balances off first will give you momentum and say, all right, I knocked that one out. Now let me get to the next one. And you're taking the, the amount that you were paying on that small balance that you no longer have to pay anymore. And you're adding it to the next one. And then continually, as you pay off a debt, you take what you were paying on that debt that's gone now and you add it to the next payment. And now you have this big snowball that's growing over time. Um, so you're paying more and more down and you're getting rid of it quicker and quicker. That's generally a good way to, to go when it comes to paying off debt. And it also makes you feel good. Like you said, it's just, you know, seeing uh, congratulations, you paid off your debt or just even like zero dollars and zero cents. That definitely, like you said, builds up that momentum and makes you feel 
you know, you know, maybe not as uh, stressed out or in some cases desperate, but nothing's happening. At least that's what I've noticed when I'm looking at balances or when I'm talking to my friends. Yeah. And you can't ignore the emotional side of finances because there's definitely an emotional factor in it. Um, and even if it's not the best financial move, if it makes you feel emotionally good and it's motivating for you, that actually might be a better move for you because you might do other things that are more productive in your life and just feel better about your finances, even if it wasn't like the ultimate best spreadsheet version of your plan. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Uh, so I just want to take a moment to remind the audience that we will be answering questions later on. So if you have any, feel free to submit them. All right. So, um, one one other question for you. Why might it be beneficial to reduce debt as much as possible in retirement? This is a great question. And if you think about it, going back to our understanding of our normal expenses, if we have our normal expenses and debt is included, and then we remove the debt out of that normal expenses, our normal expenses will come down. If we have less normal expenses, consistent expenses that we have to pay in retirement, by default, our money could last longer. And if we have a million dollars saved in our retirement account and we're only taking out $50,000 versus $70,000 every single year, the money's gonna last a lot longer, or at least it has a chance to last a lot longer than it would if you had more expenses. That's, that's one factor there. The other one, this is one that people don't necessarily pay attention to as much, is that when you're in retirement, if you've done a good job saving into various buckets, so that let's call it, the taxable bucket, like your bank account cash and the taxable investment accounts that you have, and then your Roth IRA bucket or Roth 401k bucket, which is essentially after tax, and then your, or tax-free at that point, and then your tax deferred, which is your normal 401ks or normal IRAs, traditional IRAs, um, is a pre-tax bucket. You get to then choose where your money comes from. And if you don't need to take out a bunch of money in retirement, you have less money to take out or force out of these accounts and more flexibility about where you take the money from, you can actually play with your tax bracket pretty good, right? Um, and if you keep your, your total income out of those accounts at a certain level, you might be paying less in taxes overall versus someone who has a lot more expenses and therefore has to force more money out of, let's call it their, their tax deferred 401k, their tax bracket might be elevated just because their expenses are so big. So I think it's a really important thing to pay attention to when you're going into retirement. How much income do you need? Where is it going to come from? How is that going to impact your taxes each year? Those are really great points. Very helpful. <laughs> um, and okay, so another question. Sometimes debt can be unavoidable, such as if a medical emergency happens, which I think the pandemic has made abundantly clear is possible at any moment. So um, in those situations, if you're in retirement, what can you do to protect yourself from falling into that dangerous territory of maybe accumulating too much debt? Well, I think the 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 general idea is, is when we're planning, the point of planning is to think of not so great scenarios and can we sustain ourselves in those things if they actually come about. So the first thing to do is make sure that you have a good amount of emergency savings. Um, people tend to say three to six months of your normal monthly expenses should be set aside in a bank account and not touched at any time unless you are forced to through an emergency situation where you can't pay for that out of normal cash flow. 
Um, so it's a really great to make sure that your emergency reserves are at a good level going into retirement. Uh, some people like to have a, a year's worth in cash. Some people like to have more. Some people like to have less. So it's it's a little bit of, of your own personal taste, but having some cushion so that you don't have to take on debt, credit card debt or other debt, immediately when something pops up that was unexpected is really important. Um, if you have that in place already, then you might also look to buffer that by having a, a HELOC or a line of credit on your home available. I'm not saying to use it, um, but if it's available and you can access cash that way in a true emergency, it's one way to, at this point anyway, um, get pretty low interest rate debt um, out to, to fund these emergencies. I will say we're in a rising interest rate environment right now and HELOCs, home equity lines of credit, are variable rates typically. So uh, the rate could keep creeping up. So you got to pay attention to that. But one more access to liquidity. Um, the third one, and, and this is one that not everybody can access, but if you are on a custodian, uh, uh, an investment platform that allows it, a lot of times people will use their taxable investment account as collateral to offer another line of credit for themselves. So if you have a million dollars in a taxable investment account, and um, you're offered a 50% of that as um, a line of credit, you could take out up to $500,000 to use for whatever you're gonna use it for. Um, all of those HELOCs and lines of credit, collateralized lines of credit like that are debt, and you gotta be careful there. But if we're looking at trying to keep interest rates low on the debt that we need or not get into debt at all, it's the emergency reserves, the HELOC, the um, collateralized line of credit in on another asset. Absolutely. Um, so does it ever, or rather one tool that I've also seen is uh, 0% interest rate cards. Not necessarily, you know, maybe you don't get as much of <laughs> much credit as with some of the other uh, options you mentioned, but do those ever make sense at all? <laughs> yeah. It's been a short-term crunch. If you need, you know, if you need 15 months to pay something off, and you can build a budget so that you know you can pay it off in the 15 months, you just don't have it right now. And your options are credit card that you have, and the interest rate is 19.99% or higher, um, versus a new opening a new credit card where there's a 15-month or an 18-month interest-free period. That can make great sense. No interest, and you have a budget, you have a plan to pay that off over the 15 months. Yeah, I think it's definitely important to note that you should pay attention to the timeline and what the interest rate is afterwards. But it is something that I've seen um, helpful for, for some people in quick situations. Um, yeah. Just to add to that one thing, just to, something to watch out for with those. You see them a lot of times at like Best Buy or Home Depot, and you can buy something and, and pay it off over 15 or 18 months. Some of those credit cards will actually, if you don't pay it off over that time, it's not that they just start accruing interest at the 15 month mark or the 18 month mark, but they will actually put interest on all of the balance the, the entire time you had interest free. So you had this significantly more, uh, you know, higher amount of interest that you have added to your balance because you didn't pay it off on time. So really pay attention to that deadline. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Really pay attention to it. That's crazy. Um, okay, so something that I think we are all very familiar with in one way or another is student loan debt. If we don't have it ourselves, we know at least five people who do. So I wanted to ask you about that. Um, 
does it affect retirement at all? Whether, you know, that's people who are decades away from retirement or maybe closer to retirement. So when you say, does it impact at all? Does it mean like the affordability of your retirement? I guess like retirement savings, like, you know, I hear a lot from younger people who say, well, I want to save for retirement, but I am paying off thousands of dollars in student debt. And should I be putting my money towards that instead of uh, 401k or an IRA? Got it. Okay. So and this, this is a really gray area, uh, one that has a lot of nuance to it. And I think it's a good question. Part of it is, if I'm taking on debt, why am I taking on debt? It goes back to that good bet, dad bet question. Um, good debt, bad debt, not bet. Um, and what am I going to get for that debt? So taking on student loans, obviously, if you get an education, that gives you um, certain skill set that allows you to make more money in your career. And you can actually argue that you're going to have more money long term because you took off the debt short term. There's a reason for that. Um, and you still want to be conscious of how much debt you take out because uh, if you take out a lot of debt and you don't make so much money, it's going to take you a long time, maybe into retirement before you can even pay off the debt if you're doing a 25 or more years um, income-based repayment program or something like that. Um, there's a rabbit hole we can go down there, but this isn't a student loan conversation, so we're going to skip over that. Um, but it does also go back to the interest rate. Right? What is the interest rate that I'm paying on my student loan versus what could I potentially make if I invest my money in a retirement account. And although we can't really guarantee ourselves a certain rate of return, if we're talking about stock market investments, we can look at the historical averages, no guarantees for future performance, but we can understand generally that we're maybe going to earn somewhere between four and 7% returns um, into the future. And so if we're going to be able to earn 7% and our interest rate on our student loan is 3% or 4%, well, you could argue that we'd be better off um, saving a little bit into retirement, especially if you're going to get a 100% match from your employer up to, say, 3 or 5%, which is free money, no brainer there, and then pay down um, the debt at a lower level versus, as a long-winded answer, but the versus the student loans at 7 8 9%, which there's no way you're going to get any sort of guaranteed return of 9%. You might just want to knock that out first and then start saving into retirement after that. Again, assuming you're going to get the 3% match from your employer. So contribute at least 3% into the portfolio because um, that extra 3% is free money and that's 100% return on your money. Definitely. And then for people who are maybe a little closer to retirement, I do hear sometimes parents, you know, they try to help their kids, so they might co-sign a loan or they take on the debt themselves. Um, any thoughts on how people can um, maybe help their kids, but also not uh, hurt their retirement security? Yeah, no, that's a tough one, too, because certainly you want to help your kids and protect them against any, any you know financial burdens. And you can't put yourself into... Uh, too much debt and, and put yourself on the streets or worse in your kid's basement when you're retired uh, because you're taking on some of their debt load. So if you can run your plan and again, in your cash flow, you could, you have some room to afford a little bit of debt repayment on their loans. Or um, if you have a parent plus loan, you certainly have to pay off to at least the minimum on, on your loans. Then that's fine. 
But if, if you're struggling, you need to figure out a better way. If it's, it's if it's rebalancing, uh, sorry, not rebalancing, but refinancing your parent plus loan because it's at a, a higher rate, somewhere above 5%, and you can get that down to three or so. That might be a good move because it lowers your interest rates, lowers your payments, um, and allows it to fit into your cash flow better. Um, or, you know, again, going back to paying debt off before retirement, if you just want to knock it out, uh, maybe you don't go on as many vacations before you retire, you get rid of that debt, go into retirement debt-free. That feels a lot better. Definitely. So I have a, a happy question. <laughs> Say you're in retirement, you finally paid off all of your debts, no car loan, no mortgage, nothing. How should you approach, uh, approach that extra cash flow? Well, so you have, you're saying you have positive cash flow after you, your normal spending in retirement, you have extra money. What do you do with it? Yes. Take on debt. Make sure you can know. Um, <laughs> you, you can just look at your, make it, make sure you understand how much of your expenses is fixed versus variable. Right. And um, the difference between fixed and variable is that variable, I'm going to call variable uh, expense, choice spending, Ch spending that you can just eliminate at the drop of a dime, if you need to, if you get into a jam, versus fixed is staying on your 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 cash flow, like a, a mortgage or utilities or car gas or car payment, food, like things that you can't not pay for. And the more fixed your budget is, the harder it is to shift. And I'd pay attention to that because if you have a lot of fixed and some excess, um, you could say, you know what? I have more room to spend. Let me add some more fixed expenses to my budget. Now you're locking yourself into a higher lifestyle. It's inflated and it's not really easy to change back. That's not something good to have. But if you're saying, well, I have extra money, I don't necessarily need to save it because certainly if you're, you don't have enough in retirement accounts um, to fund your retirement and you have extra every year, you should probably put that back into investment accounts so it grows and, and helps you down the road at 80, 90 years old. Um, but if, if that's not the case and you want to just have a little bit more fun, look at spending one-time expenses. Like, well, you know what? I have this extra money this year. Because I'm in good shape this year, let me spend it on vacation. It's a one-time expense. I'll do it once. Then next year I can reassess if I have extra money. I can do something else with it. I don't have to commit to that same vacation every year if I'm not able to and I can't afford it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, what you said as far as leaving the money in the account, if you have that extra cash flow, you don't have to tap into your retirement accounts here all the time that the the longer you let that money grow, the better it is for you in the long run. So I think that's those are all great points. So I do see the time and I think... I think we're ready for audience questions. Are you ready for audience questions? Open the door. All right. So the first question is from Al, who asked, under what circumstances would you recommend retirees take out a home mortgage? Hmm. Well, so I'm assuming that you have no mortgage right now, or in the question, the person has no mortgage, um, all the equities in their homes. And the conversation is, I need to tap my equity for some reason. I think I'd ask myself, what is the purpose again? Like, why am I taking out this debt when I have a very much paid off home? Um, is it necessary? If, for example, you're saying I want to tap into my equity because I want to spend that money on something, 
um, and it's a fixed expense, going back to that um, whole fixed expense thing, then I'd be weary of, of taking money out and starting to lock in a new level of spending because my home equity is kind of a safety net for me in retirement should things turn south. Um, but if there's, um, you have the equity, you can easily fund your, your normal expenses and you're saying, you know what, it would be nice to do a renovation on my place, um, add a garage to my home. It's really going to be beneficial for my lifestyle. It's going to allow my family to gather here more. And you can see all these real benefits from a social perspective. And if I take that debt out of my home, I'm going to, I'm going to know that it does fit into my cash flow. Cause right. If you take out uh, a HELOC, specifically a home equity line of credit, you, it's an interest only for 10 years, and then you have to start paying principal down. So um, you want to make sure you're paying attention to what that interest rate is and that you can afford to pay that debt down over time, because the last thing you want to do is take out debt, lose your home because you took out the debt after you already had paid off all that, um, that mortgage in the first place, uh, versus a refinancing and meaning like a cash out refinance where you just get a new mortgage on your home. It's not a a home equity line of credit and you're taking out that lump sum paying interest on all of it at once and using it for something you just got to make sure that that something is really worthwhile and that you can afford to do that and sorry i'm not being more specific um there's so many more questions i want to ask and, and get detail into exactly what you're looking to do but generally speaking that's how i would answer that question absolutely so uh brian asked um what should people know about reverse mortgages you're you're constantly seeing um, celebrities on TV talking about reverse mortgages. Well, that is a loaded question. And certainly I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm an expert on reverse mortgages. What I will say is previous versions of reverse mortgages were all pretty bad because they're all really expensive. These days it's been modernized. Um, sometimes it can be a lot cheaper than it used to be. And they can actually make a lot of sense for very specific situations. So the idea is that you're saying you've paid off your mortgage and now you want to basically tap into that equity to fund your life, knowing that you're going to have a certain amount of years to live. And then by the time you pass away, you'll have used some of that equity. You'll still have some equity in it, but you'll have debt on that home. And then your heirs or wherever your estate can then sell your home, pay off the debt, and then actually clear maybe some in the end, and it works out for everybody. Um, it's a viable opportunity. It creates some liquidity in your equity, but you want to pay attention to the risks, the costs, and what you might be giving up by doing that. Um, and I'll, I'm not going to say any more than that because any other details would be more applicable to talking directly to somebody. Um, I just would say if you had a bad taste in your mouth because you've reviewed reverse mortgages in the past, re-review them, find out some advisors or planners that you can trust to look into them with you to see if it's a viable opportunity or not. Because in some cases, it could be a really great fit. In other cases, it's a disaster. Absolutely. Uh, Dave asked, if you're not itemizing on your taxes, is any debt really good? Interest deduction seems a thing of the past now. It's a good point. Um, based on the standard deduction having basically doubled um, and a lot of people not itemizing anymore, um, you can't really argue that paying interest on your mortgage is going to allow you to pay less taxes because it's not deductible. So I think it's a good point and something to pay attention to. 
and if you don't itemize, then you can't argue that it's a good thing to, to pay interest on your mortgage. And uh, Stacy asked, what happens to debt when it, uh, if, you, if you pass away? Depends what kind of debt it is. Um, if you have a, say, if you have a federal student loan, um, those are basically forgiven. At, I don't know if forgiven is the word, but they're, they're erased at death if it's under your name specifically and not uh, co-signed. Um, if you have a mortgage, then it's going to fall to your estate. So let's, let's say you have uh, $200,000 in cash and investments and you have a $100,000 mortgage and you have your home. It all gets consolidated into your state, estate and then the estate pays off your mortgage um, and then you know the rest of the estate is liquidated and distributed to your heirs. Um, so it depends on the kind of debt, but most debt will just come down into your estate and then your estate pays it off before it goes to the next person. If your estate can't pay it off, it gets a little bit complicated and, and very specific situations will we'll end up in certain places where your heirs at some points might actually be on the hook for some of this stuff. So it's, pay, it's important to pay attention to how much debt versus how much um, uh, net worth do you have? And could your net worth essentially erase your debt at death or not? And is there anybody uh, to talk to about determining which type of debt heirs may be responsible for? Like would an attorney know that or would it have to be the lender specifically? I would probably want to talk to somebody that's more objective, right? So not necessarily the lender themselves, although it's a great place to start and ask questions of. Um, they just wouldn't necessarily be able to help you plan around that. I would I would ask um, an estate planner, um, uh, a debt attorney, some sort of um, attorney that specializes in debt repayments, um, even a bankruptcy lawyer, if you know one, might actually be able to give some insights there. Um, or a comprehensive financial planner might also be able to provide some perspective on and how to plan to avoid that kind of thing as well. Absolutely. So we only have time for one more question. And this one is from me. Um, for people who are maybe looking at their debt and overwhelmed and they don't know where to start, they hear all the suggestions from today and they, you know, they heard about the snowball and the avalanche and everything else. Um, what suggestion do you have for just getting started? Like what should that very first step be? to start tackling your debt? It's a great question. And, and I think the, the answer is Excel or a spreadsheet or a piece of paper, right? Make sure that you identify all of the types of debt and who the actual servicer is for those debts. The balance of each debt, the interest rate of each debt, and the minimum payment required so that you don't get in trouble with your credit score of each debt. And then you add up the total of all those minimum payments and you say, here's the amount I need to pay every single month in order to maintain my credit score and not get into trouble with um, you know, the, the companies that I borrowed from. And from there, you could then reorganize that list by highest interest rate first or um, highest balance first or lowest balance, however you want to do it, like the avalanche or the, the, the snowball method. And then any extra money, I would, I would say do it by interest rate, highest interest rate first. Any extra money that you have in your normal cash flow that you could put toward to whatever you want, maybe you tack that on to the minimum payment on the highest interest rate debt and you start to whack that away 
um, a lot quicker than you otherwise would. And then once that goes away, take that amount and you add it to the next amount and continue to go from there. I think that's a really great way to eliminate debt. Uh, once you do get down to the oh, overtime, once you do get down to the, the lower interest rates, then you just want to question whether you should be putting all your money towards debt or not, because you might actually want to save some of that and then pay down debt um, on a slower basis. No, that's a great point. Thank you so much. Um, so this has been absolutely wonderful and eye-opening. Uh, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. But thank you so much, Eric, for joining us. I'm sure the audience loved all of your suggestions. <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome. This is awesome. Thank you. And then to our audience, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Baron Senior Managing Editor Lauren Rublin and Deputy Editor Alex Ewell will be discussing the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Thank you again for listening and stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.